first January test is failed. Kevin Bowen back, another edition of Kevin's Corner on a Monday morning. Just one pod this week. Well, actually, we'll, we'll come back Friday morning recapping the Titans game. But uh, if you want a Titans preview, Beers with Bowen, we'll plug that here early in the uh, podcast. 8 o'clock, YouTube interactive on Wednesday night. We're giving away some Colts Pro Shop gift cards and whatnot. So, um, and, and then mainly a Titans preview along with some bigger picture stuff that we haven't really hit on too much in these podcasts. So hopefully you guys can join us for that. Um, yeah, Chris Presley will be back for that Wednesday. We've gone to the bullpen once again. And uh, Maddie Bowen, outstanding job last week for her. She predicted the Notre Dame victory. And Ryan Bowen is now with me, my brother, my fearless leader. Uh, he was right here during the Notre Dame win. We won't bask in that glory too much early on, Ryan, because that could go for about five hours. But I appreciate you coming out of the bullpen. Hey, glad to be here. It only took uh, three years coming to uh, <laughs> get the invite. But uh, glad to be here and help. And glad to be basking in the glory of the uh, victory versus Clemson. Gosh, I can't believe it's real. But uh, yes, Notre Dame, a big winner on Saturday night. Again, we won't focus too much on that. We might get Ryan's master's picks to close out this podcast. But let's start with Sunday. Um, Really a tale of two halves, I thought, and we'll get into things I like, things I didn't like, but you felt like, and I, I don't know about you watching it, but I felt like up 10-7, they were even playing better than that, and just that Jonathan Taylor fumble was such a big storyline in the first half, but you play with fire against teams like the Ravens, and you're going to get bit in the ass, honestly, and, and I thought the Colts got bit and, and really exposed in the second half in some key areas. Well, we talked about it watching the Notre Dame game. I don't want to make this into a Notre Dame podcast, but you have to take advantage when you have the opportunities. You can't kick field goals when you need touchdowns. You can't turn the ball over and have it go the opposite way for the other team because those are seven-point swings, 10-point swings, 14-point swings. And like you said, the Taylor fumble early was one of those where you could have pushed it ahead and not stepped on their throat. But, man, it just would have made it for a longer haul in the second half for the Ravens. But they were tickled to death to go into the half down 10-7. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you go up, you know, you're on the fringe of – and we'll get into the Taylor fumble. But, yeah, I mean, you can go up 10-0 there. It could totally change things. Um, And the other thing I think bothers me a bit about losing this first January test that we talked about, when I looked at the schedule in May, I felt like – and I still feel that right now. I thought this was the best opportunity to get one. You had a Baltimore team that I feel like defensively, I mean, the Colts did a really good job, you know, for the better part of 60 minutes. And they were dealing with some key injuries. Calais Campbell leaves the game on second or third play and all of that. So um, I I just thought it was a missed opportunity. Now it's a short week going to Tennessee and you got Green Bay and that passing offense scares the hell out of me if I'm the Colts. So just a, a chance to prove yourself. You look around the AFC yesterday, everybody else won. Everybody else won. That was meaningful. That was not a good Sunday for the Colts. And uh, I thought in the most anticipated half of the season, you just you just failed. And, 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 and wilted. That was a word that I used. I just felt like you just crumbled. Hell, I mean, Phil Rivers crumbled on the tackle attempt against Jonathan <laughs> Taylor. But, yeah, just, just crumbled. I mean, so disappointing because what you had heard all week was the 5-2 and two start is different than last year and we're going to be better, we're going to be <clears> different. And you have this opportunity and you come out and you're the dead opposite of what you've said all week and why should fans not have pause and concern that this is going to start a trend these next three games of what we saw last year. Um, 
and, and I appreciate Frank Reich being honest after the game, acknowledging this is an opportunity. And, and he gets it. He knows full well there's a different measuring stick. And we made the college basketball reference on last week's podcast about you're now getting in the conference slate. And this was a Big Ten game you felt like you should have won, and it got away from you. And now the margin for error is shrinking. And again, you've, you've been exposed in some areas that better get corrected soon, or else January is going to look a lot different. Definitely. Well, you want to slide into uh, yeah. what, what you didn't like uh, from the game? So I, I think the first thing, I'll let you lead that off, John, Jonathan Taylor's fumble. Yeah, and, and um, boy, Ryan, he's been so good with the ball this season. You know, and that was kind of the knock on him coming out of Wisconsin, or at least maybe a question mark. I shouldn't say knock necessarily. But that strip, first off, what a strip by Marcus Peters. The guy continues to be a high-level player, and Chris Boward had to look up in that presser and think, gosh, boy, that Kansas City days, he was so good for us. But um, what a strip, and then what a return. You know, it's it's one thing just to make the strip, but – and, and I am not expecting Philip Rivers by any means to make an open field tackle because that would be, you know, <laughs> Jesus on earth here in 2020. But if simply Rivers stands up and, and just Chuck Clark has got to run a different way, all of a sudden you would hope some offensive player for the Colts is going to run him down. And if you're at the 20, 25, if your defense holds him to a field goal, you still feel like that's a mini win. And now that momentum change isn't as substantial and our, our listeners know I'm such a big believer in game flow and I thought that play changed everything I honestly thought Taylor had a really good first quarter uh you they, they got him in space the first play of the game he had to be over five yards per carry in that first quarter I mean that first play call of the game was so great with everybody thinking it's going right, right. flip back left it was uh I don't know what it made me uh pretty excited for you know what the running game might have been um to come further into the game, and um, it just went the opposite direction with that fumble. You know, he's five yards a pop in the first. And honestly, I thought the run he fumbled on was one of his better runs as a pro. You know, kind of lowers his head, uses 230, um, falls forward, all of that. Um, but, man, I mean, he he, he got benched. Uh, you know, I, I know Frank Reich didn't – you know, I asked Frank that question after the game on Sunday and said there was no discussion between Tom Rathman the running backs coach who handles much more of the personnel with his position group over the game. But Jonathan Taylor had Un carry one the rest of the game. And that was with six minutes to go when Jordan Wilkins was getting looked at by the training staff. So you can't tell me that, that he didn't get benched for a second week in a row. And you draft a running back in the second round, you trade up for a running back in the second round. You can't afford, especially the Marlon Mack injury behind this offensive line, you can't afford to have the first eight games that Jonathan Taylor has given you. Um, it, it's just this team is void of playmakers right now, and they're not getting anything from their second-round pick. So, um, or, or I should say not getting enough from him at all right now. And I probably wouldn't have put him in the doghouse as much as they did. I thought that was too aggressive. You know, at halftime, if I'm right, I get with Rathman and say, all right, we got to get him back involved a little bit more. Yeah, it's not like Jordan Wilkins was setting the world on fire. I mean, hell, Wilkins was even four a carry. No, three and a half a carry on Sunday. But, man, I mean, that was your biggest key. Frank Reich harped on it all week long. Probably the most I've heard him harp on it all week long this season. Turnover battle, turnover battle, turnover battle. Get them down. He won Baltimore to play left-handed. He just goes down there, you're in field goal range, you go up 10 nothing at worst, and you, you have some momentum with him. He's got some confidence. 
and, and the rest changes. Another reason to go back to him is the, you weren't trailing by much. Like, right, it's right, not right. like you were down two, three scores and you needed to pass. You needed to push the tempo. You had plenty of time to have a ball control, clock-consuming drives. Go back to this, which we'll get into later, high-priced, you know, high-drafted you know, offensive line. Let them you know, change the tides in the game and, and give Taylor more opportunities. I mean, that's his first fumble uh, in his NFL career. And obviously he had a knock coming in uh, to the NFL based on his college resume, but he's actually produced l- less fumbles per carry in the NFL. And it's a short uh, sample size of eight games, but then he did in college. Like, you know, like you said, you can't stick him on the bench right away and just not give the guy who is extremely talented and who you believed in so much drafting up, you got to give him a chance. You got to give that offensive line a chance. Look at you doing some research. I, I mean, I have to come prepared. I mean, Maddie has uh, set the bar high for the uh, guest potters, and if I don't uh, come prepared, uh, I'm never going to get another chance. So you're right. This is a cutthroat business here. You, we don't give many. Uh, it's like Jonathan Taylor as a running back. It, it, if you screw up, you're out. I mean, this is how we, we we run the show at Kevin's Corner. Chris Presley might be sweating on his flight back from <laughs> from California as we speak. But um, no, in all seriousness, with Taylor right now, it's just. Man, five carries, I think 26 yards in the first quarter. That's a really good number. You know, that's on pace for obviously 20 carries and 100 yards and a, and a touchdown. Uh, and yet you had to go away from that, or at least you ended up going away from it. So I thought that was the play of the game and uh, had to start that off as the biggest thing I didn't like. Well, let's talk about number two thing you didn't like, and that was Phillip Rivers in this offense. Yeah, you know, Ryan, we talk so much about the yards per attempt number with Rivers. Yesterday, I believe it hovered around five, maybe even less than five. Your yards per carry for this rushing offense, thanks to DeMichael Harris helping, yeah. 5.3. When your yards per carry is above your yards per attempt, I'm yeah, this ain't 1953 NFL football. You cannot have that. I thought it was just the most, I just thought it was the most, off Rivers looked. The interception, again, a horrific letter of the law from the NFL. We don't need to beat that to a drum. It, again, Tony Dungy said it perfectly today. Get 10 third graders in a room, have them raise their hands, and you can figure out what it catches or not. Um, I will say credit John, John Harbaugh for clearly seeing enough of a replay that he felt like that was a challengeable play, and what a difference. But the interception, he should have thrown that ball. And... I think what we continue to see with Rivers is just this is a freaking roller coaster. I mean, that's life with this man at quarterback. And we said it in March. I called it entertaining. Entertaining probably has too much of a positive connotation with it, so it probably isn't entertaining. But it's damn unpredictable. Um, but you know you're going to get these ebbs and flows. That, that's just life of him at 38, and it's certainly life with him when you have that wideout group right now and you have a run game that is stagnant at best. Yeah, I mean, Rivers started the game 6-6. Six six. I mean, you would have felt like, hey, this is turning into one of these good performances we've seen, and then he finishes the game 19-37. Uh, of 37. I mean, 51% after starting 6-6. Six six. I mean, like you said, this is what fans have to expect, the good and the bad at his age. It's unpredictable. You know, we've seen declines and other notable players in the past where you just – you never know when it's going to be good. You never know when it's going to be bad. I mean, Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson, to me, are some of the, right. the greatest examples in the last five to six years of guys we've seen fall off quickly and unpredictably. And 
It's just so Jekyll and Hyde with Rivers. And that's another reason the running game has to be stronger because you can't put it on his shoulders. And like you just said, the wide receiving crew is just so pedestrian. Um, it's just, it's, it's sad. And guys that have shown in good spurts haven't gotten the ball enough either, which is something we'll get into later. Yeah, definitely. I, I think one thing on the Rivers tackle attempt, which I, I have to mention this, I thought it reminded me of our dog Rudy in the backyard laying on her back in the sun and just looking up at the sky with her paws and just, or even Rosie sitting on her mat over here playing at, you know, hitting the little ball that is above her. It, it, so true. Somebody gosh. on Twitter had a, a, a turtle on its back flailing <laughs> in the sun, not being able to roll back over. Jeez. Um, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, we talked about it on um, Wednesday's podcast. People will overlook the T.Y. Hilton injury loss. It, it's significant. This is a mediocre wideout group, and it's largely mediocre quarterback play. We've said it all along. It's an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, but that's only because the bar was set so low last year with Jacoby Brissett's play. Rivers gives you more of a chance, not much of a chance, especially against these teams. And right now, you just this his the the, the play we saw against the Lions, the play we saw against the Bengals, that will not sustain until you support him better. The Chargers supported him with skill group. They invested a whole lot around him. And yet, you still had ups and downs. Um, and, and, and with this run game where it is, you, you, you need a top-flight quarterback. And Rivers was never that. No one should have thought he was that. But I thought yesterday, he missed Marcus Johnson on the deep ball that I know he wasn't happy with Johnson's route. I don't care. Johnson had created separation from Jimmy Smith. You, you can feel that. you got to sense that. That ball should have been placed more towards the corner of the end zone. Uh, missed Burton over the middle one time. So yeah, I, I just the sense of urgency with the offense bothered me late in the game. Um, two of twelve on third down, it really really poor from um, from Rivers. And, and honestly, and I guess lastly about the offense, the state of the offense is this: you you have a minimal run game, minimal. So your chances of 10, 12 play, eighty yard drives are extremely low. And when the passing game doesn't give you the pop. 10 points doesn't shock me. It, it, it just doesn't. It, it just seems like an offense right now that um, is very average at the most important spots. And in today's NFL, that's quarterback and that's receiver. Some of it is injury-driven at wideout. Um, but this quarterback, it's it's it has the chance to be slightly above average at times. But for the most part, it's going to be middle of the pack. And there's going to be roller coaster rides with it. And yesterday was certainly one of the dips. One other thing to add to that, you mentioned the 2 of 12 on third down. While the Colts were 2 of 4 on fourth down, two of those two conversions were on the last drive of the game when it really the game was out of hand. That was some flukish stats. So you're 0 of 2 on fourth down when it matters in the game. And, and Reich has you know, preached how great he thinks their fourth, fourth down game planning and play calls are and just another example of not being able to convert when it matters and, like you said, sustaining drives. I think we had a fourth and inches question about that play call, so I guess I'll wait for my opinion on that. But um, lastly, I know there was some debate about, oh, the Colts are spreading the ball around. This is great. Well, give me a freaking alpha. Give me a dude. Go get me Devontae Adams. Go find me a guy that I know. I actually thought this was a great line that um, Big Joe used on the morning show today. I want a skill player that can call his own shot. Call your shot. Third down, I don't care who is defending you in the NFL. We're going to you. 
The Colts do not have that on the perimeter. And honestly, when healthy, they don't have that either. That is an issue. The ability to acquire and develop wide receiver, high-level talent, has been a major issue for this franchise for the last handful of years. Preach. All right, let's move on to what you liked. Uh, first thing is the run D slash the first half defense by the Colts. Yeah, um, honestly, Ryan, probably the best, boy, on a short list, one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen in that first 30 minutes of football. You totally stymied Baltimore. 55 total yards of offense. Um Lowest for the franchise since 2014 and a half. Uh, their run game, non-existent. Grover Stewart, I tweeted it, pay that man in the backfield making plays. The Colts had nine tackles for loss in the game. I love their discipline up front. al Muhammad had that big sack that took him out of field goal range. That was such a great play. Um, and you honestly got them into the type of game that you wanted. So, um Really, really good from that defense. And, I, you know, if you would have told Frank Reich at the start of the day, 17 points your defense is going to give up, you would sign up for that. You would 100% sign up for that. Darius Leonard was just – I thought Darius just got worn down in the second half. I really thought the defense got worn down in general in the second half. But Leonard had 13 solo tackles, which is another just absurd number that no one does in the NFL anymore. Um so, yeah, I mean, I was really, really pleased. I, I, I will nitpick a little and say that the second-half defense needs to be better. And I know people will be like, oh, my gosh, this year nitpick and, like, none of You know Lamar Jackson's last incompletion in the game? Uh, late second quarter? Nine minutes to go in the second quarter. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> he was 10 of 10. In the second half, he was per. I mean, Lamar Jackson, exactly. Not Tom Brady. Fifty-four percent over the last month and a half. Not Drew Brees. Lamar Jackson. He looked like Gardner Minshew week one, (laughs) and 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 that's just where. And Frank said this after the game, which I appreciate the candor. Frank's like, we got them in the game we wanted. Stuff the run, which again I do not overlook. That was just an incredible job against the most unique rushing attack in the NFL. You got them to play left-handed. And what the Ravens say, all right, we're going to go tempo. We're going to go quick rhythm. We're going to control the passing game. And how many times did he just stick it in Dobbins' gut, pull it out, and there's Sneed, there's Andrews, there's Hollywood Brown over the middle. He just got into a great rhythm. And they had three straight drives of at least 50 yards and at least four first downs. And, again, I know your offense was giving you zero complimentary football. Those first three drives of the second half was really just when the Ravens Took, took control, control yeah. and, and bled clock and just wore the defense down. I mean, yeah. between the plays and the time was so crucial um, in the Ravens' favor and against the Colts. 8 for 68, 10 for 54, 14 for 75. All of those drives inside the Indy 10-yard line, all of them at least four first downs. So, uh, again, the defensive performance was so good in the first half. But I felt like you, you, you just got to mention that a little bit. And honestly, you feel bad for the defense because the Martian Freyer right now is just so slim. If you're able to counter with a touchdown or two, we probably don't harp on that. But where the state of this team is right now, you're right. You, can't, you can't not mention it. Yep, no margin for error. The second thing you like, Michael Pittman and DeMichael Harris. Let's talk about those two guys. Yeah, those two young wideouts, man. Two totally different stories, two totally different body types. But uh, they need the football more. Um, Pittman, I just love, um, 
I just think there's a smoothness about him. I, I like the uh, third down screen that you um, that you gave to Pittman early in that game as well. I thought that was a nice little. I'm six four two twenty three, and I'm gonna make sure I run like I'm that as well. I, I thought he did a really nice job yards after catch there. To Michael Harris, he should be permanently called up to the fifty three man roster. It's a jolt. It's a lateral speed. It's a, I played running back and receiver in college at Southern Miss. He's just what every NFL offense needs. Every NFL offense needs a player like DeMichael Harris. You need the lateral speed. You need a guy that can do that after the catch. And this offense is void of that right now. So um, he needs a permanent call up. He's worthy of wearing number 12 in my book. Uh, what do you have? Two rushes and four catches. Yeah. And, and I, I think I tweeted out this morning, I don't think he played more than 15 or 16 snaps. Yeah. So clearly... And, and credit to Frank Reich, and we will properly evaluate Frank Reich's offensive day and day as a head coach. But getting to Michael Harris involved like that, I like. I like that percentage. Six touches in 16 snaps. It's crazy to think a guy from the practice squad gets that, but that's twofold. One, it's the state of your offense right now with skill talent. And two, it's to Michael Harris showing up and being consistent for you. So um, really good day for him, and I would say – you know, there were some individual bright spots, certainly on defense, but offensively, there weren't many. These two were bright spots, and I really wanted to make sure that we uh, that we mentioned them. Gotcha. Well, let's get into Twitter questions. We've got a full boat to uh, get through on this short week, so let's get started. Let's do it. Sergio, hopefully not Sergio Garcia, who just tested a positive oh, COVID gosh. this Masters week. Kevin, no chopping wood this week. LOL. Good morning, my friend. Great two pods last week. Your wife did a great job. What happens to Rivers? One week he plays like Manning and the other Hoyer. <laughs> oh, boy, Manning to Hoyer. Um, those are two extremes. I don't know about Manning to Hoyer. Maybe like Luck to Painter. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Luck's too high praise either. But, um, man, this is life. This is life with Philip Rivers. And I will stress this, and we wrote this back in March. We've talked about it on this podcast. If you're going to give him $25 million, you better support him. If you think you're going to get high-level, more consistent-level Phillip Rivers, you have got to support him. Because honestly, he's a pretty mediocre quarterback when you don't support him. And we've seen that. So, um, yeah, this is just life. Sorry. This is... Welcome to being a... Can you imagine being a Charger fan? Yeah. First off, you watch Phillip Rivers... For 17 seasons, especially the last decade. And now all of a sudden you lose these games like you're losing. And Justin Herbert is giving you hope. And yet, God, I don't know if there are Charger fans, but I think Phil Mickelson is one. That 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 might be it. Yeah, They're too busy at the beach in that awesome city. Yeah. All right, Ghost Visible. Due to, the Taylor fumb- due to Taylor fumbling the ball, do you see him getting less reps for a few games until trust is built again? We got played right after that happened. On a side note, how about the Irish? Oh, boy. How about them? Still basking in that glory. God, that was beautiful. Man, and you're right. I, I was nervous. We played with fire there in that first half. and Oh, man. I, I, I'm, it's pinched me. I woke up you know, early Sunday morning and brought Rosie down here, let, let Maddie get some sleep. And Rosie, whether she wanted to or not, we went back and watched 15 minutes of highlights. And I just, I can do it again. Father of the year right there. We're, we're <laughs> raising her right in the Boeing household. Oh, she looked great in her little Notre Dame t-shirt jersey on Saturday night. Um, All right. Taylor fumbling the ball. What's he saying? Do you see him getting less reps? Um, 
No, I don't. You know, the thing is, Rathman, Tom Rathman, for those that don't know, uh, think horse collar, Nebraska football, which means he's already one of my favorite humans ever. But he's no nonsense. And we've talked about ball security is so pivotal in his mind. So I'm not shocked that he benched him, to be honest with you. But I think you got to be honest with yourself this week and say, all right, we got to give him another chance. Like, we, you just, you aren't in the scenario to where, which I think the Colts, you know, the level of accountability they have for some players versus other players is mind-boggling to me. But I, I just think Taylor's got to get back in there. And clearly you wanted him a big factor on Sunday. He touched the ball the first three plays of the game. I mean, the, 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 there was a big factor. So, um, you know, it's not like Jordan Wilkins set the world on fire. I thought uh, Taylor's still got to be involved. Maybe more of a split, but honestly, uh, I, I would still I, – I, I think you got to give him another chance. When Taylor has had 106 carries so far in the NFL, one fumble, he actually fumbled more often at Wisconsin than he has in the NFL. So right. he's he's off to a better start again, like I said earlier in the pod. Smaller sample size, but until this really becomes a pattern, continue to feed that guy. What did you say, over 100 carries in the NFL? He has 106 carries in the NFL. And so, probably another 20 catches or so. So, yeah. yeah I he think, fumbled every 60 carries his senior year at Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. I remember breaking it down when he came out. It was uh, every 53rd touch. I, I took catches okay. in, do it well. And last year in the NFL, the top five running backs, I looked it up, they fumbled every about 90th touch. So, again, better than most, uh, as I use my Tiger Woods Sawgrass <laughs> Hole 17 reference. But, yeah. Love the golf analogies. All right, next question from Bragg. When are we going to finally call out Reich's offense for what it is? Predictable? Flat? He's not the offensive genius he's proclaimed to be. You know, a couple things stand out to me offensively, Bragg, about Frank on Sunday. First off, the first play of the game, I don't think the TV copy catches it. Um, the Colts have no idea what their personnel should be in the game. Literally. Marcus Johnson and DeMichael Harris are like running back and forth like three times. And I'm like, this is the first play of the game in the NFL? Like, <laughs> you've scripted this all week long. You didn't have a bunch of COVID, you know, guys missing practice. How, do, how does your personnel not know who's in the game? Um, I mentioned the sense of urgency in the, in the second half, which was just a fourth quarter, which was mind boggling. And then I'll go to the Jacoby Brissett play. All right. So Brissett gets in the game for that Hail Mary. It probably took until about 25 to 30 seconds left on the play clock for Brissett slash anyone on the sideline to realize there was a chance he could go in the game. How does that happen? You have no timeouts. You feel the punt with, what, 20 or 30 seconds to go. Your kicker is not coming onto the field to kick anything long. Like, clearly that play is in their playbook. How does Brissett not go get his helmet? How does someone not bring his helmet to him? Now, all of a sudden, he's running back to the water cooler to get his helmet. And then you got to delay a game penalty from it. It's, it's just that prepared stuff for a team that, again, does not have enough offensive talent to overcome it. That, that can't happen. Um, as as far as Reich, you know, the, the second and long runs and coaching to tendencies are probably my biggest issue with him. I also think the personnel usage of a guy like Hines. You know, Hines didn't have a touch in the second or third quarter. And he didn't have a touch until, I want to say it was 20 seconds ago in the game, in the fourth quarter. One touch in the final three quarters on a meaningless touch. So it's like he almost sits on a Tuesday, I feel like, and is like, hey, 
Naeem Hines was so good last week. Baltimore's going to do everything they can to take away from him. So we're just not going to use him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, I think it's almost too analytical, too overthinking at times with him. You know, having said that, I still like some things they do in the red zone. I like the usage of DeMichael Harris. And I really think it's more of a personnel thing at wideout and quarterback. Having said that, he was a huge factor in the quarterback coming here. So I can't absolve him. Um, I, I would like to see more more tempo as well, especially Thursday night. I looked it up today. The Titans had five defensive players play every snap yesterday. Five. That is a very high number in the NFL. The Colts typically around two to three. Use some tempo. Try. I, I feel like that needs to be um, used as well. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we, we, we've talked about it. This is a huge evaluation year for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And the seat will get warmer if things don't turn around in the final eight games. Next question from Big Bama. Do you think that with the lack of elite talent on offense and defense is why the Colts are in between on being a serious contender or not? Games like this highlight it more obvious to me than other games. Do you think we can beat Alabama? Uh, that makes me nervous. Very nervous. Well, I still have it's... you know scars from being in South Florida. In oh, God. I forgot you were there. Jeez. You should have been reading a book like Cheryl Kennedy was during that game. That was abysmal. Um, all right, Big Bama, uh, elite talent on offense. Yes, yeah. I mean that. I mean, hello. Yeah, I mean, stop there. You know, um, I mean, think about your draft picks and the skill groups over the last couple of years: Pittman, Taylor, and Campbell. I mean, there's a lot of rookie skill player or young rookie or second-year skill players are wide out and running back, you're going to see one Thursday night. I mean, A.J. Brown is a flat-out stud, and um, you just aren't getting enough from that group. So, again, I, I, I'll say what I said earlier. I laugh at people that are like, oh, spreading it around is great. If you've got the alpha, the other people should show up just naturally playing off that. Um, Drew Brees hammers it to Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, play after play after play, not as much this year, but – Everybody knows it's going. Everybody knew the last couple of years he's getting the ball to those two guys, and it hasn't affected their ability to just torch defenses. Well, look at look at last night, and I, I didn't watch a whole lot of the game, but again, Camara, like you said, and Michael Thomas is back. And who scores their touchdowns? Troutman, Traymond Smith, uh, Hill. Like you know, it's not necessarily you naturally are going to have that stuff fall into place as long as you've got the dudes to draw some attention. Um, and, and I will say that, and this is probably more of an off-season focus, but Chris Ballard has had some really nice draft picks. But moving forward as a perennial winner, if you're going to be that, you better draft like Baltimore has. Baltimore's drafted incredibly well as mostly a winner. And if you're going to have sustained success while you search for the quarterback, that's got to be huge. Richard, are Buckner and Stewart the best defensive tackle pairing in the NFL right now? Secondly, why has the offensive line performed so horribly in the run game with the same starters as last year? Is it a lack of faith in Taylor compared to Mack or something else? Love the pod and listen every week from the United Kingdom. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Richard, for that. It uh, m- means a lot. Boy, uh, Buckner and Stewart, I put them right up there with anybody. And they give you production in the run game. It's not just clogging it. It's getting off blocks and making plays. Stewart had to have had a couple tackles for loss yesterday. Um, Yeah, he had two. He had two. Gosh, nine tackles for loss is a lot. So, yeah, uh, 
They are, yes. I, I'd put them up there. Why has the O-line performed so horribly in the run game the same start as last year? Yeah, it, it's it's maddening, this offensive line performance. Uh, I did think the run blocking was a little better yesterday. Not great, but a step in the right direction. I, I think it's a ton of factors. Um, you know, the lack of faith in Taylor, that's a really kind of harsh comment. Like, is the O-line going to block worse because Taylor's in the game? <laughs> like, It's not like that. Um, I, I just agree with the Jeff Saturday comment that he's talked about a whole lot this year. This is a unit right now that whatever is blocked up front, that's what the running backs are largely going to get. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 I do think there's just a, um, you just aren't getting enough from that O-line in, in the run game. I, I don't think it's like the biggest issue whatsoever, but um, still, it, it's something that, that, that has to get better if you're going to support Philip Rivers. Next question, Leroy wants to talk a little NFL draft. Would you agree that the next draft needs to be QB, then wide receiver in rounds one and two? Well, you know, looking at it just like that, I would say yes, it makes a whole lot of sense. But then I'd also sit here and say, what about trading up for a quarterback? Or do you have that second round pick? What does that look like from a draft capital standpoint? Um, left tackle and edge rusher would still be a couple positions that I'd have uh, top of mind. And, and part of me is like, man, are you really going to draft a receiver in the second round for a third straight year? Yeah. Cool. You know, the, but you, you have, I mean, this is the, pr- the biggest problem with, with, with Ryan, Ryan Gregson many times with his personnel moves. You got to admit your problem, admit your problem and move on. Chris Ballard, I think knew pretty early on Terrell Basham wasn't going to work out. So what's he do? He drafts three defensive linemen in the second round, the next two drafts. So, you got to admit it, and you got to move on. But uh, yes, Leroy, in a vacuum, yes. But trading up for quarterback is still something I think about. Alec, what's more embarrassing for Colts fans: losing to the Jags in Week One, or that percent play to end the first half where he committed two penalties on the same down? Oh my god! <laughs> I love this question. Jeez, uh, that's a great one, Alec. I, it's got to be losing to the Jags. They haven't won since. But still, that 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 percent play. You know, I um. People know this podcast, but I think it's Jacob Brissett's quarterback. I do feel, well, I, I feel somewhat bad, even though I look at his how much money he's making, and I guess I don't feel that bad. Nope. But, man, he's been thrown into some two situations this year where it's just been, yeah. Um, I guess it was a screen. Did you realize it wasn't even Hail no, Mary? No, I thought it was a Hail Mary. Yeah, it was a screen. Were you call a screen from the 50-yard line? Yeah, and uh, they were bringing five, and you hope you can – Somehow you got three blockers out there, and the Ravens will. I don't know. That goes back to overthinking. You think you're going to, yeah, yeah. It, it's, and, and part of me thought, and I know you weren't in field goal range, but man, how great of a weapon Justin Tucker is. Yeah. Like you didn't even, you know, it wasn't even a thought the Colts were going to kick a field goal no matter what. Plus, I hated like the little dump over the middle. I like to have seen a sideline play there at first, try to get two offensive plays before the Hail Mary or hail screen attempt I, I, I don't know if you think you're Rutgers or what yeah weird Joe why does the Colts offensive line get all this publicity that they are the best when I watch good defenses against them they can't pass block at all well I would strongly disagree with that statement Joe about the pass blocking I thought the protection was really good yesterday uh, no sacks yeah. yeah Rivers and I I think he was only hit twice Judon I think got him a couple times but um yeah, I thought the protection was great. And, and really, it's probably – no, it's not even probably. It's easily the best aspect to this offense right now, which makes it even more maddening 
that you can't pass the football on a consistent basis. Um, as to your first point, why do the Colts offense line get all, all this pub? I tried to be honest during the offseason, and, and we had a whole segment on the podcast about the run game was really good. It wasn't elite last year, and people pushed back at me for that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Look at playing the top defenses. This this run game wasn't at that level. Um, and, and, you know, the, the other thing I'm worried about, Ryan, is well, what happens when just normal offensive line health starts to happen? Look look at Thursday night. Taylor Lawan, gone. Roger Saffold gets hurt yesterday. Look at Sunday against the Ravens. No Ronnie Stanley. The right guard gets hurt as well. I mean, the Colts haven't had that. Costanzo for one game, and you're at the midway point of the season. So I think you got to hold your breath a little bit with that. I mean, one guy gets rolled up, and now all of a sudden, you know, Danny Pintner and Raven Clark, are that you got to rely on them to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's been an incredible run of health the last year and a half for this offensive line. At some yeah. point, just water's got to find its level. Oh boy, we got a long one here. Yeah, I didn't even know how this fit into all 280 characters. But from Root, I know you always talk about how Rivers gives you a higher ceiling than Jacoby, but it seems like he's been the limiting factor for this offense time and time again. He's good enough against mediocre teams like Detroit, but he doesn't have the mobility or arm strength to go toe-to-toe with elite defenses, even ones that are missing key pieces like Baltimore was on Sunday. Not to mention the flat-out missed throws and bad decisions that lead to interceptions and missed opportunities. I really don't see any benefit to bringing Rivers back next year, unless it would be just to mentor a young quarterback, and there would certainly be no reason to pay him what we did this year. Well, Rube, I could not agree more with that last statement. I'm sorry, I don't see the benefit. Um, and honestly, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, Ryan, I mean, isn't he just going to kind of deteriorate a little bit more physically? You know, I, unless he's going to go get shot up in Europe with something. I, I don't think all of a sudden he's coming back and just going to have this resurgence physically. So this is him. It, it is a slight upgrade um, from your quarterback play last year. But still, it, it's not enough that I think can get it done in the month of January against these sort of teams. It's too hit or miss, and it'll just be more hit or miss next year. And that's just the reality of having a 38-year-old quarterback that has always moved like a statue. And you're delaying the inevitable. And the mobility part in today's NFL is just so critical to me. So the fact that you have $46 million of cap hits invested in your starter and your backup and you're getting this quarterback play, boy, you know, for those in the business world out there, the old ROI on that is, (laughs) yeah, that ain't good. Alex, is Frank Reich a good coach? Simple as that. Well, he he didn't need 280 characters here. Alex was straight <laughs> to the point. Um, I appreciate that, Alex. I I I think he's a good offensive mind, and I know obviously there's a lot of evidence to go against that this year. I point more to personnel, which I'm not absolving Reich in that because he's had. He's had a lot of say in this personnel. But uh, I will reiterate what I said earlier. These final two months are big. No one wanted to talk in the offseason about Reich and Ballard and what they've done without Andrew Luck. And I guess I should say, well, yeah, both of them. Um, Reich coached Andrew Luck, obviously, that first year. No one wanted to talk about that. We tried to harp on and say, this is what you're going to be evaluated. The honeymoon 
and the excuses, those are gone. That is done. We're now going to find out. And I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it earlier. And this might sound harsh, and I'll probably get some pushback on this. I don't think Frank Reich challenges the Marcus Peters interception. I don't. I don't think he's that in tune game management over 60 minutes to throw that challenge flag. And it goes back to kind of what I've said before about finding a head coach who doesn't call the plays defensively, doesn't call the offensive plays. They can watch all that. They can observe all that. Tomlin, Belichick, Harbaugh, Wink Martindale's on defense. Greg Roman's on offense. John Harbaugh can just stay locked in on game management. Timeouts, challenges. And while that challenge and the overturn is just unbelievable to me, he knows the letter of the law. He clearly had someone in the booth, and I think they even showed it inside the stadium when they slowed down that replay, and he threw the flag. And it's funny because when you watch the TV copy, Charles Davis and Ian Eagle, they don't even like mention it as a possible INT, but yet John Harbaugh knew that. And so that's what concerns me a little bit about Reich is just the the full grasp of that, which puts more pressure on him offensively. Because if you're not going to be maybe a big advantage there, that can come back to bite you. Um, I know it hasn't really done it in a lot of games, but it still is concerning to me. Uh, but as I said earlier, I mean, these final eight games, big, big, huge. Zach, why are we passing on fourth and one? Was it even fourth and one? <laughs> yeah, fourth and six inches. Yeah, I mean, I got to I'm going to pull up that play and see if, you, if it, it was even fourth and one. Um, what did you think there? Okay, so it's 21-10. At that point, and um, there's like six minutes to go, I want to say. Did you think kick field goal? I did, just because I felt like you get it to eight points there, you know, one possession game. Um, But absolutely, if you're going to go for it, you run it. You can't run some play-action passing type of scenario. Um, I just thought, again, overthinking, getting too cute um, by Frank Reich again, so... I, I didn't have an issue going for it. I had an issue passing it, um, but probably would have kicked the field goal. Yeah, it was, well, I guess yeah. it, it was close to a yard. Maybe not six inches. We'll give it ten uh, with where the nose of the ball as Ryan Kelly brings it back to a full yard. But my issue was this, okay? First off, you're wide out on that play, folks. Reese Fountain. I mean, Baltimore, Jimmy Smith's probably like, wait, what? I got to guard it? Like, that ball's not going to Reese Fountain. So you've totally eliminated one wide out there. And now that I look at it again, the Colts had an unbalanced line. It looks like that's Braden Smith over at uh, left half. I didn't realize that at first glance. Yeah. He's out. um, He's to the left of Costanzo. So you do your. Pinter's in the backfield. Right. Pinter's your little offset fullback there. Um, Okay. What I don't love about it is this. It's one option route, and it's Trey Burton going through trash. I mean, that is a slow developing. Burton's your only guy on the backside of that play. <sighs> no, I, I, I'm with you. I thought going for it was a smart play because you're at the 16-yard line. It's not the 33. This is your best chance to score a touchdown. I'm sorry, in the final yeah. 535. I was fine with them going for the TD. Three timeouts. Yeah, but still, I, I just I don't think this offense is moving at another eighty yards or That's you know fair. however many that you need to go here. Um, but this is the st- first off. It's two things. Philip Rivers can can you QB sneak it? I, he's he doesn't like QB sneaking it. Like this is a thing with him. So they don't QB sneak it. Um, secondly, 
four top 40 picks. You trade up for a running back in the second round. And on fourth and 10 and a half inches, you're throwing it. On a day when you've actually ran the ball <laughs> decently well, over five yards per carry. So, yes, I don't have – Zach, I, I, I agree. I don't know why you're passing it in that in that situation there. Clayus Campbell's out. I mean – Every, every chance they get, they scream from the rooftops, run the damn ball, and when it you needed it the most, you, you didn't do it. And this is probably the, the overthinking stuff, exactly. you know, this because when, when you watch the play, I mean, it's gonna it needs about four seconds for Burton really to get through all of it. And certainly, the Ravens had great edge pressure on the play, and I actually think Judon or or McPhee somewhat read it, but I mean, just gotta be men and just. Blow him off the line and get 12 inches. 12 inches. Gary, after scoring two TDs last week, Hines touches the ball three times. Also, give me more of DeMichael Harris. Congrats to your Irish. Thank you, Gary. That means a lot. Um, I think I've worn the same Notre Dame shirt two days in a row now. Love it. I wore the same thing to uh, church that I wore Saturday night. God, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, Hines. I, I don't at all. You know, I said it earlier, three touches in the first quarter. And really, he sparked you a bit. Two grabs for 20 yards. Yeah. You know, had a long of 17. It's just, I think Hines has earned a five to seven touch package. Not even package. Honestly, you should have offensive goals each week. And Naeem Hines touching it five to seven times should be a goal that must be checked. That should be – I understood why it wasn't always a consistent part of your game plan. It needs to be now without Hilton, without Campbell, you know, without a consistent run game. That, to me, has got to be a barometer. Chris, and he's got two questions, so we'll take these one at a time because this is okay. a novel. Number one, I love Reich, but if we had to name a weakness, perhaps it is in game plan calling. Scheme and play design are excellent. Do you think there's any chance he gives more responsibility or outright turns play calling duties over to Sirianni in the future? Chris, it's a fair question, and my answer is in no way, shape, or form criticizing your question, but there is zero chance. Um, Frank Reich has been a play caller his entire NFL life of substance, really ever since um, I think he left Arizona to go to San Diego in 2013. So no, he is going to be a play caller. You know, it's funny. I remember at training camp one year asking Frank, I think I asked him in the scrum, but then he hung around afterwards and kind of pulled me and a few others off to the side and wanted to talk about it more. I asked him, I'm like, it was week four of the preseason. I'm like, would you ever let Nick Sirianni call plays for the week four preseason game? That's something you, you, you kind of see. You know, NBA teams let the assistants coach their teams in summer league, you know, stuff like that. And he was like, no. And his thing then for no was, that's kind of a just a no-win situation. You know, Nick Sirianni's calling plays for Philip Walker running for his life for 60 minutes. It's just it, – it's not great. But, um, no, I mean, this guy called plays in the Super Bowl. He's not, he's, not, he's not giving that up. Here's a question for you that goes along with that. Any – this might be getting too nerdy, but added Mike Grow to the coaching staff this year. Kevin Petullo <laughs> took on a new role with the passing game coordination. Any way that has played into the – uh, struggles offensively compared to last year? Are we putting too much? Yeah, that's that's interesting. That? Um, it's a thought I haven't really like too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing. Is that where yeah, you're going? Yeah, just with? you know, again, we've gone away from what's worked. Googe was working great. Went away right. from that. Went right. away from Petula. 
um, with the wide receivers, you know, so are we overthinking? Or, yeah. Said, too many cooks. It, it, okay. Two things for me offensively. I do think there's a bit of overthinking at times from Reich, but I also just don't love this personnel at wide out and, and, and quarterback. It's oh, just okay. in today's NFL, if you're average at those two positions, you are going to get exposed. Look at the top 10 teams in the NFL right now and tell me who is average at quarterback and wide out. I mean, see, I mean, no one. I mean, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans. You know, obviously the AFC teams, Kansas City, and I, Tennessee. I guess you throw in there, yeah. but you know, when you have this historic running back in Derrick Henry, that's just totally different. But obviously, you'd put Pittsburgh and and Baltimore. Maybe average as a thrower, but Jackson's so damn dynamic that he's he doesn't qualify as that. So. It's a good question, Chris, but again, I'm talking to you from what I think Reich would do, and I'd say no chance. Chris's second question, given the rise of ultra-athletic quarterbacks like Jackson and Murray, do the Colts consider keeping Malik Hooker and move one of the three starting-level safeties down to a hybrid linebacker role to better match up athletically and complement Darius Leonard? Love the podcast. Keep up the excellent work. Chris, send in more questions. These are good. These are good. Um, the second one is a very interesting thought. Would you then take off a defensive lineman? He wants to play three safeties? He wants, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, Leonard and Okariki, that's the duo for the next handful of seasons. I mean, that, that duo is not going anywhere. So then, Leonard's already pretty thin for a linebacker. Yeah, you're going to have a 215-pound right next to him? Because you can't take Leonard off the field. Well, no, but and I'm okay with that unless you're playing like Tennessee or Baltimore, really. Um, I, I think it's a it's an interesting thought, and I, I'm all for defensive creativity with personnel groupings, but it's probably a no for me. Again, I, I, just, I just think the Hooker-Colts marriage is, is, is over. Yeah. Dara, last year the Colts staff said they were mo- the momentum team when they were 5-2. and two. Ballard seriously addressed the D-line, but I can't shake the sense the offense still relies on momentum this year. When they are good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're very often three and out. Thoughts? This is our guy from Ireland uh, chiming yes. in here. Um, I, you know, I, I honestly, Derek, don't think it's necessarily does the offense rely on momentum. I more think is the offense that good. You know, over the course of 16 games, you, you're going to find out who you are. You know, there's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. And then over time, we're going to get – kind of a clearer picture of, okay, what's happening more than the other. So um, especially when you're facing the teams like you have faced face on Sunday and are about to face. And that's what I think was disappointing about the offensive performance yesterday. Did I expect this team to score 30? No. But without Marlon Humphrey, with Clayus Campbell getting hurt, and six or seven guys not practicing all week, I thought you'd get better, especially at home. And this team, this sure. offense has been a lot better. I don't. And if you told me at the start of the day, Ryan, five point three per carry, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, that. Ugh. Yeah, to control the ground game against that offense. Yeah, I mean, Frank Reich would have signed up for that in a minute. Yep. All right, Jordy, what would be the maximum you would give up in a draft question? What would be the maximum you would give up to trade up for number one to take Trevor Lawrence from Clemson? Me and my friends were debating this. They were saying they would give up four first rounders to get Lawrence. I said that was ridiculous to burn that much draft capital for one player, no matter how good. I might be able to be talked into two first and two second rounders, but even that seems steep. So what is the maximum you would be willing to give up? Boy, 
Jordy, I agree. Four first-rounders seems <laughs> absurd to me, right? Uh, unbelievable. Um, And really, three seems kind of steep, you yeah. know? And I guess if I'm going to say I'm drafting 32 overall, which is kind of quite the goal for Trevor Lawrence's first couple seasons in the league. I Look, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is damn good. Damn good. But I'm maybe not as infatuated as him as the – Luck, Manning, Elway sentence he sometimes get, gets thrown into. And honestly, I, I kind of like some of these other QBs. Um, I'll tell you what, I watched that kid a little bit Friday night from BYU. Zach Wilson, he's he, he's intriguing. Um, I've mentioned Mac Jones before as a guy that I probably want to watch a little bit more. I know some of you have asked me about Kyle Trask from Florida. Obviously, Justin Fields and, and Trey Lance are uh, guys that we've talked about. But yeah, I <laughs> geez, four. Sounds like a Mike Dicka run draft. <laughs> yeah, I can't go there, Jordy. JJ, why so many behind the line of scrimmage and one yard passes when you're down by 14 and time is running out? Dude, it looked like, um, JJ, thank you for the question. It looked like, you know, the, one of those Colt Week 17 games with Peyton where they just throw it to guys to get their stats for the <laughs> yeah. season. You know, it's like, oh gosh, we need Reggie Wayne to catch five balls and then we got to get him out of the game so he gets 100 catches for the year. Or how many games in a row has he had three catches and he's right, only right, has right, two right. with five minutes ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like, I was like, what is this sense of urgency? It looked like, you know, Navy trying to come back down 21. I was, yeah, that was, JJ, I, yeah, that was, what? Puzzling. Chris, if you are the GM, are you going all in with Rivers, surrounding him with more talent, or are you trading up for a young QB to get a one-year behind Rivers, and what do you think Ballard will do? Okay, me personally, I'm trading up. No doubt in my mind, I'm trading up. I, you just, To me, you cannot delay the biggest question in any sport franchise roster building, and that is, who plays quarterback for your NFL team? That is the hardest question to answer in professional sports. I'm not delaying it another year. Uh, having said that, Ballard would probably be more hesitant than I am. And, uh, yeah, I just – look around the league yesterday. Look at the dynamic quarterback play you saw up and down the NFL yesterday, especially some of the young guys. I mean, obviously Herbert. You know, Tua and Kyler going at, you know, at it. Um, you just, you just got to have it. So, I get it. You want to create a nice environment for that QB. I think this environment – is better than most, certainly, for a rookie quarterback to come into. It, it needs it needs some tweaks for sure. But yeah, get get the clock started. Craig, hey Kevin. I'm growing really concerned about the near and long-term prospects of the Colts QB situation. Rivers is literally a statue, and in this league, the teams that succeed have a QB with some escapability, especially as we play tougher defenses. What worries me long term is does Jacob Easton have any ability to run away from pressure? Are we going to be in the same spot for the next few years? Um, yeah, Eason isn't doing anything. I mean, no. he, he's Stafford. He's Matt Ryan. He's – yeah, I, I don't know. Instead of maybe kicking his legs up in the air, maybe he gets an arm out like, <laughs> you know, Big Ben on that tackle attempt, uh, something. Um, yeah, that was my impression. I brought that up. Um, it, it's interesting. I remember going back to the ballard right trait, quarterback trait question that – that um, I thought was interesting last year. Reich, I don't think he really mentioned much of mobility or making plays with the legs or anything like that. Ballard mentioned it a little bit more, but to me it's it's a prerequisite to having long success in the NFL. Jordan. Hey, Kevin. Jordan from Texarkana. 
Side note, one of my favorite names of a city in the United States. Don't ask me why, but Texarkana is a really cool name. So is that on the border of Texas and Arkansas? You bet. Half the city's in uh, Arkansas and half of it's in Texas. Really? Right okay. in between Dallas okay. and Little Rock. Jordan always mentions where he's from, so I, I, I appreciate that, Jordan. He's a proud Texarkanian. What stopped this team from being explosive on offense? Defense played well enough in the first half to basically shut out the Ravens' offense, and yet our offense put up yards, but not many points for the rest of the game. The offense seemed dead. Yeah, I mean, I would say, again, it's a mixture of the quarterback play and um, a little bit of your wideout group. And Yeah, I mean, early on, you, you moved it. I feel like decently 201 well. Total, total, 201 total yards of offense in the first half. I mean, that's a great number against, yeah. against that that defense. Um, yeah, I mean, you settled for the field goal there uh, kind of late second quarter. But, man, that, that, that Taylor fumble, that was such a big play. And, and Baltimore's D. I mean, to give them credit, they are very good. So, um, yeah. This is a slash. Jack and Scotty both had similar question. If I'm Ballard, I'm bringing back Mac on a one big on a big one year prove it deal. Do you agree? Prove it deal, yes. Big no. No, I, I no, I'm not giving him an absurd amount, but yes, prove it deal. I'm bringing back Marlon Mack. It, you know, it's funny how injuries and I. I mean, I I thought Taylor would produce really well, and I was wrong. Um, it's funny how injuries can kind of make you forget or long for players. And in the, in the case of Malik Hooker, it's forget. In the, in the case of Marlon Mack, it's long for. You don't always appreciate them until they're gone. Right. And especially that position, we kind of quickly just write them off. But yeah. yeah. Um, good, good, good question here. Let's go, um, let's go a little quicker pace here to okay. close them out, but we'll, 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 we'll get through the rest of these. All right, Bailey, why doesn't Indy get any primetime games? Last home primetime game was on Thanksgiving 2016. Last primetime game on a Sunday or Monday was 2015. Preach. Um, it, it's a joke. I've talked about this before. Jim Mercer has certainly talked about it. The Thursday night games don't count for me. Uh, you know, no. I, it, it, is it the fake punt curse against the Patriots? <laughs> you know, maybe the Colts again. I've said it before. Maybe they're grounded for a handful of years. But what's shocking to me is the NFL created schedules in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, thinking Andrew Luck was the Colts quarterback. Four years. Four years. And you don't get a Sunday or Monday night game with Andrew Luck? Yep. Pretty wild. Tanner, would you rather see Quentin Nelson rush for a touchdown from the five-yard line or see Old Man Rivers catch a touchdown from Trey Burton, Philly special style? Got to be the last. I mean, you imagine Rivers laying out in the end zone for a ball. (laughs) I mean, Nelson five yards, that's pretty long. Yeah. But, I mean, literally, Rivers running it, or Rivers catching a pass. I mean. Yeah, sign me up for the latter. Isn't his his last rushing touchdown is like six years ago. I thought he was going to run the other day or yesterday when he got – and then he missed Burton in the open field. But, um, yeah, that would be a sight to see. Skelly, do you think JT holds the bulk of the job or are we headed for a committee approach? I thought he was talking Justin Thomas. I did too. I had to really read that carefully. Uh, okay, does he think Justin – Jonathan Taylor holds the bulk of the job or are we headed for a committee approach? Um, I think Taylor – I think Taylor maintains more carries than Wilkins. I do moving forward. That that it, yeah. I, you sit down with him this week. You, you you look at the full body of work. You say, all right, he's held on to it pretty well. We need to try. We we need to hope he breaks through, finds that 
moment to where he feels like he belongs in the NFL, those things. It's interesting. I don't think I mentioned this earlier in the pod, but watching J.K. Dobbins versus him yesterday, Dobbins' ability in the shorter areas to make guys miss, subtleties with his cuts, that to me is a step ahead of Jonathan Taylor. And I honestly think a lot of it has to do with, and this goes with DeAndre Swift or Clyde, Clyde Edwards, you know, some of these backs, Taylor at Wisconsin, he didn't deal with a whole lot of trash in the backfield. It, it wasn't, I mean, they run it. And so his ability to kind of create yards wasn't really probably his forte in college, not something he certainly had to do on a frequent basis. And I guess that kind of worries me when your offensive line isn't going to be just this crazy, great blocking attack. Jim, being from Texas, I know I'm a Ben Banigou homer, but don't you think that the Al-Qadim Muhammad has not been productive enough to double Banigou's playtime? I like AQM's effort, but averaging 35 to 40 snaps a game, I think you give those to Ben. He's far more productive. I think the same about Autry, but he does seem to make more plays. It's funny, Jim uh, sent me another note. He sent this before Sunday's game, and he sent me a note last night like, oh, maybe my question's wrong. Um, Glad to hear that. <laughs> AQM was so good yesterday. Yeah, he was. He was. He's, he's got to be a re-signed guy. <laughs> um, so Banigou, and I, I know I said this during camp, he just doesn't pop for me. It, it, and it's weird. His production, it's not horrific. Uh, I think it's six tackles on the year and like 80-some snaps. That's not terrible for a defensive lineman. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned the the rush he had on Joe Burrow on that overthrow that Blackman had to ice the game. But, again, it's just not enough for me. You know, the Colts drafted him thinking he could be a linebacker. That means freak athletic traits mm-hmm. for a guy his size to play linebacker. And I, I don't see that when I watch him at all. He's not the athlete Kamoko Ture is. So, uh, and then now you got to think Ture is either going to play I don't know, maybe he doesn't play Thursday, but he's got to be back for Green Bay, you would think, at the latest. So now where does that go for Banigou's role after being a healthy scratch yesterday? Um, And and I I will say this, just, you know, Ballard obviously cut ties with Basham early, but then you can look at Taekwon Lewis and you're like, wow, third year, he finally developed. You know, there is a history in this league of kind of multi-year, it takes a little while for rushers. And then obviously, you, and you can look at this twofold. One spectrum, Jerry Hughes. Another spectrum, Bjorn Werner. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it, it, it's a tough balance. Um, I well, I just haven't seen enough from me. I mean, it's not Bjorn Werner, but it's, yeah, boy, I don't even know if I've seen a Jerry Hughes flash. Like, Ture has shown me more as an edge rusher than Banigou has showed me, and they probably have played similar amount of games considering all the time missed for Ture couple more to go. Jason, one offensive and one defensive question each. Underperforming and overperforming player based on your expectations on both sides of the ball. Okay. Uh, offense overperforming, I'd probably say to Michael Harris. I know it's only been two games, but it, to be honest, it's a group I don't have a lot of great answers yeah. for. Um, underperforming, certainly the O-line. And I, I'd, put, I'd put Nelson, Kelly, I'd put those two guys in that group. Defense, boy, where do you even begin of overperforming? Stewart, I'd put Xavier Rhodes, Julian Blackman. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Underperforming, I mean, I guess a little bit of your edge rush. Probably Houston. 
Yeah. Honestly. But yeah, you're kind of nitpicking. Did he did he do anything yesterday? I didn't I didn't feel him at all. Um he's kinda had a quiet few weeks, Houston has, so. Um Oh boy, I didn't even see his name in here. That's never good. Yeah. Houston and uh Lewis not even showing up in the staff sheet. Yeah, Houston. Okay. Uh, from Kay Dizzle, similar to a question we had earlier, why can't Colts win in Jacksonville? That kind of bothers me. No, no, Justin Houston. Now, now I got to look this up. I mean, he's been super quiet recently. But the Ravens didn't rush the ball well, so clearly he. I know, but but you you aren't you don't have him here to to be this great. You know, you have him here to to disrupt the QB more. Fair. So that's three straight games. Justin Houston has not recorded a quarterback hit or a sack. Or a tackle for loss. Or a... Well, he's had one tackle in the last three games. In 100 snaps of football. Hmm. That's not good. He needs him better there. Uh, sorry. Jags, what, what why can't the Colts win in Jacksonville? And it might be the worst hotel the team stays at all year. I mean, maybe that's a real yeah, what's, reason why. What, what, uh, they got that Dave and Buster's right there? Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that's close by. You've just gotten whipped up front. And really, it's only been down there. And I guess he does ask in Jacksonville. Um, he got blown out in some of those games. Or Hasselbeck playing quarterback. We went 50 <laughs> to like 15 one game or something. Yeah. Louisiana guy. Hi, Kevin. Quick question. Question for the pod. With the Titans releasing Vic Beasley, do you think it's possible the Colts take a look at signing him? I know it's a long shot probably, but Beasley on the D-line with Houston, Buckner, Ture, whenever he comes back, just seems so good to not wander. Thank you for all your hard work on the pod. I appreciate that. Thanks for sending in questions, Louisiana guy. Um, You know me, I'm always a fan of kicking tires and former first-round picks, but there seems to be a little bit more there with uh, with Beasley and uh, off-the-field stuff, so... Um, I'm going to guess the Colts sit that one out and believe that Kamoko Terry will make a difference. Jake, with a tight end question, if you could commit to only one tight end for next season, who would be your no-doubt number one? Doyle, Burton, Cox. Oh, Cox. Yeah. Because, again, I, you know me, I always have one eye looking towards the future. Yeah. Jack Doyle will be 31, I think, in May. Burton, I believe, just turned 30. I think Allie Cox is like 26 or 27. So, yeah, I mean, to me, and, yeah, I mean, you guys obviously know what I think of Jack Doyle and and the career that he's had. And I even like Burton a little bit. But if I can only commit for one, knowing that that one could turn into a couple years, um, yeah, give me multi. JD, do you think part of the lack of the rushing attack this year is due to the statuesque presence of Phillip Rivers versus a slightly more mobile Brissett? Not that I'm advocating for Brissett. He's not the future. Yeah, J.D., it's it's interesting. Um, part of me is like, wow, Jacoby has the big arm. Phillip doesn't have the big arm. But I also look at the vertical passing game, arm strength, and the stats, and I'm like, well, certainly Rivers has given you more vertically than Brissett ever did. So, yeah, it, it, it's a debate that I've had myself. But I just – I guess I can't – I mean, don't you look at the stats? I, I – Rivers is a much more willing vertical passer. And I would think that would open up more of the run game. But he certainly doesn't have the arm. Yeah. But Jacoby does. Well, that's it for Twitter questions. Let's uh, talk about the week ahead. I know we got a busy week with Beers and Bowen and the Colts playing on Thursday. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, Colts will be pretty quiet. Practice field. Again, this will be our only pod of the week. Uh, they'll walk through today on Monday, probably again on Tuesday. 
And that's it. And then they travel to Tennessee on Wednesday. So beers with Bowen, 8 o'clock Wednesday night. Franciscan Health helping us out with that event. Uh, 8 o'clock on YouTube. And uh, it'll be interactive. We'll do some questions at the end. Give away some Colts Pro Shop gift cards there. And uh, it'll be a mix of kind of first half recap because this is the midway point. We're, We're eight games into it. And also looking at Thursday night and then a little bit more big picture stuff. A lot of big free agents we haven't really talked about. And we're going to hit that pretty hard on Wednesday night. And Chris and I will probably come back late Friday morning with another pod. So, yeah, that's how the week will look. Um, all right, over, under, three and a half under par for Tiger Woods at the Masters this week. Over. That was quick. Yep. Is that your head or your heart? That's both. Yeah, that's fair. Ryan Bowen hates Tiger. Um, do we have a pick? Um... Go with Adam Scott this week. Hmm. Led the tour in driving last week. He's hitting that Titleist driver great, hitting the new golf ball really well. Got tons of experience at Augusta. I like I like Adam Scott this week. Is Stevie still in the bag? Stevie's not on the bag. He's got uh, one of his uh, buddies. Um, great guy. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think he was on the bag. Yeah. So. It'll be fun. I can't wait to watch it over these next four days. I appreciate it, Ryan. Hey, I'm enjoying it. Glad to uh, get the call. Hopefully I led um, or filled in well for Maddie, and I uh, look forward to doing it again. You did. You, Ross Lubbers, and Maddie. Those have been the three out of the bullpen so far. Um, great, great efforts, to say the least. Chris Presley will be back on Wednesday for Beers with Bowen, and then Friday for another pod. Everybody have a great week, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later in the week.